chapter 11, verses 1 through 28. Verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Burkett notes, The learned Mr. Mead upon this place apprehends that it was a custom of the Jewish doctors to deliver some certain form of prayer to their disciples to use, at least that John the Baptist had done so to his disciples. Thereupon our Savior's disciples besought him that he also would give them in like manner some form of his own composing, that they might pray with their master's spirit, as John's disciples did with his. Accordingly, our Savior gives them here a form of his own, and commands them when they pray to use it. Indeed, he had given them a prayer about a year and a half before in his Sermon upon the Mount, Matthew 6, 9, After this manner pray ye, where it is probable that the disciples looked upon it only as a pattern of prayer, not as a form. For had they thought that Christ had given them a form of prayer before, they had not asked him for one now. Therefore Christ says, When you pray, say. Certainly this gives us to understand that our Savior intended and commanded it for a set form of prayer unto his church. Learn thence that the Lord's Prayer is both a pattern and platform, according to which all our prayers ought to be framed, and also an exact form of prayer, which ought to be used by us in our address to the throne of grace. After this manner, pray ye, says St. Matthew. When you pray, say, says Luke. Verse 2. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Burkett notes, Observe here the favor which Christ does us in prescribing a form of prayer to us, a great favor, no doubt, though the world grows weary of it. We know not, alas, what to ask, but he himself teaches us and frames our supplication for us, that it may be accepted. Should a king's son draw a petition for a poor subject to be put to his father, what a ground of hope there would be that whatever is desired would be obtained. If any of us then think meanly of our Lord's prayer, oh, how meanly may he think of us and our prayers. Verses 2 through 4. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Burkett notes. The sense and signification of this best of prayers is this, O thou, our Father in Jesus Christ, who remainest in thy throne in heaven, and art there perpetually praised and perfectly obeyed by glorious angels and glorified saints, grant that thy name may be glorified, thy throne acknowledged, and thy holy will obeyed here on earth, below, by us, as thy sons and servants, as readily, as cheerfully, as sincerely, and in some degree of proportion to what is done in heaven above. And, because by reason of the frailty of our natures we cannot subsist without the comforts and supports of life, we crave our daily bread at thy bountiful hand. Even such a portion of the good things of this life as thy wisdom shall be convenient for us. And knowing that thy holiness and justice doth oblige thee to punish sins and sinners, we plead with thee, for the sake of thy Son's satisfaction, to forgive us our daily trespasses. For it is our desire and endeavor, heartily, to forgive those that have offended us. 
and seeing this wicked world wherein we live is so full of snares and temptations of all sorts, we pray that by the power of thy grace and the concurrence of our own careful endeavors, we may be kept from Satan's temptation, from the world's allurements, and from our own evil inclinations, and be preserved unblameable to thine everlasting kingdom. And in testimony of our desires and assurances to be heard, we say, Amen. So be it. So let it be. Even so, O Lord, let it be forever. Learn one, that God is the Father of all his people. As a father, he knows all his children. He loves them and takes care of them. As his children, it is our duty to honor him, to obey him, to cast our care upon him, and to long for the enjoyment of him. Two, from the word our learn, that it is our duty to pray for others as well as for ourselves. We cannot pray acceptably for ourselves if we pray only for ourselves. Three, that the hallowing, honoring, and sanctifying of God's name, as it is the first thing we are to pray for, so it ought to be preferred before all other things whatsoever. We pray for it before we pray for our own salvation. We say, hallowed be thy name, before we say, forgive us our debts. Four, learn that sins are debts, and sinners are indebted to divine justice. Sin is an infinite debt, a multiplied debt, an inexcusable debt, and if not discharged by our own surety, we must lie in prison to all eternity for non-payment of this debt. 5. That God has made our forgiveness of others the condition of his forgiving us. The word as is not a note of equality, but of solitude. We cannot equal God in forgiving, but we must imitate him. 6. No sooner is sin pardoned, but Satan will be busy with his temptations. Forgive us our sins, and lead us not into temptation. 7. That it is a greater mercy to be delivered from the evil of temptation than from temptations to evil. The evil of temptation is the evil of sin, but temptation to evil is at most the evil of punishment. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Suffer us not to be led into temptation, or if so, leave us not when we are tempted. Verses 5-8 through eight. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Burkett notes, the design of our blessed Savior in these and the following verses is to excite and stir up the disciples to fervency, importunity, and constancy in the duty of prayer, and to this purpose he makes use of a double argument, the one of a friend, the other of a father. One, he lays before them the parable of a friend coming to his friend at midnight, and by his importunity obtaining that of him which otherwise he must have gone without from whence our Lord leaves us to infer that if an impudent and bold beggar can obtain so much from a man, what cannot a humble, earnest, and daily petitioner gain from God? What friend so faithful and helpful to his dearest friend as God is to us as children? From the whole note one, that a man must be brought into a state of friendship and reconciliation with God, if he hopes his prayer shall be accepted. Two, that when any of the friends of God are in necessities and straits, he allows them the liberty at all hours to call upon him and to pray unto him. At midnight as well as at midday, God's ear is open to his praying friends.
Three, that Almighty God takes pleasure in being urged in prayer by the holy importunity of his friends. Never is he better pleased than when his people with holy Jacob wrestle with him and will not let go till he hath blessed them. Four, that such holy and humble importunity shall not only obtain what we desire, but more than we expected. Only three loaves were desired here, but because of importunity he had as many as he needed. More is given in the concession than was desired in the supplication. The original word here rendered importunity signifies impudence, according to that saying among the Jews, the impudent man overcomes the modest and the bashful. How much more God, who is goodness itself. Verses 9 and 10. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Burkett notes, Our Savior here goes on to urge us to importunity and constancy in prayer. He bids us to ask, seek, and knock, and assures us we shall be accepted, heard, and answered. Note here, one, that man is a poor, indigent creature, full of wants, but unable to supply them. Two, as man is an indigent and insufficient creature, so God is an all-sufficient good, able to supply the wants and to relieve the necessities of his creatures. Three, that Almighty God stands ready to supply all our wants, not temporal only, but spiritual also, affording his grace and the assistance of his Holy Spirit to them that ask it. Four, if therefore we want the grace of God and the assistance of his Holy Spirit, it is our own fault and not God's. It is either for want of seeking or for want of earnestness in asking. For our Savior expressly assures us that God denies it to none, but everyone that asketh receiveth. Verses 11 through 13. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Burkett notes, The second parable which our Savior makes use of is that of the Father to his children. Christ represents the care and kindness of God towards us by the affections which earthly parents bear to their natural children, who, though they be many times evil themselves, yet are not wont to deny their children necessary good things when they dutifully and decently beg them at their hands. If ye, being evil, how much more so shall your heavenly Father give his Holy Spirit? That is, the continual presence and influence of his Holy Spirit to all the purposes of guidance and direction, of grace and assistance, of comfort and support in our Christian course. Learn hence that the presence and assistance of God's Holy Spirit to enable us to do what God requires shall never be wanting to those that desire it and endeavor after it. But we must always remember that the assistance of God's Holy Spirit, though it be offered and tendered to us, yet it is not forced upon us. For if we beg the Holy Spirit and his assistance, but refuse to make use of it, or if we cry to him for help to mortify our lusts, but do not put forth our own endeavors, we forfeit the divine assistance, and God will certainly withdraw his Holy Spirit from us. Verses 14 through 20. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He catheth out devils through Beelzebub, 
the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I can cast out devils through Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. Burkett notes, a relation is here given of a famous miracle wrought by our Savior in casting a devil out of a possessed man. It is called a dumb devil because of the effect upon the poor possessed person in restraining the use of his tongue. Learn here, one, that among the many calamities which sin has rendered human nature liable and obnoxious to, this is one, to be bodily possessed by Satan. Two, that one demonstration of Christ's divine power and a convictive evidence of his being truly and really God was his casting out devils by the word of his power. Observe three, what a sad and contrary effect this miracle had upon the wicked Pharisees through their own blindness, obstinacy, and malice. Instead of magnifying his divine power, they maliciously accuse him for holding a correspondence with the devil and acting by a power derived from him as if Satan should lend our Savior a power against himself, and that for the destruction of his own kingdom. Lord, how dangerous is a willful opposition against the truth. It provokes the Almighty to deliver persons up to the most unreasonable infidelity and obduracy. Observe 4. Our Savior, knowing their thoughts, makes a just apology for himself by showing how improbable and unlikely, how unreasonable and absurd it is once to imagine or suppose that Satan should cast out himself and anyways seek to oppose or destroy his own kingdom. Now if I have received, says Christ, my power from Satan for casting out of Satan, then is the devil like a family divided within itself and divided like a kingdom against itself, which can never stand but must be brought to destruction. Observe lastly, our Savior tells the Pharisees that they might with as much reason attribute all other miracles to the power of the devil as to those wrought by himself. For there were certain Jews among them that cast out devils in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. Now our Savior asks them by what power these, their children, cast them out. They acknowledged that what they did was by the power of God, and there was no cause but their malice why they should not acknowledge that what he did was by the same power. If I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? But if I, with the finger of God, cast them out, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. That is, the long-expected kingdom of the Messiah is certainly come, and I, having wrought these miracles by my own power, is a demonstrative proof that I am the promised Messiah. Verses 21 through 26. When a strong man, armed, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh away from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house where I came out. 
And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Burkett notes, Our Savior, having sufficiently shown that he did not work his miracles by the power of the devil, he next informs the Pharisees from whence he had that power, even from God himself. Accordingly, he compares Satan to a strong man, armed with weapons to defend his house. And himself, clothed with divine power, he compares to one that is stronger than the strong man, so that the argument runs thus. The devil is very strong and powerful, and there is no power but only God's that is stronger than his. If, then, says Christ, I were not assisted with a divine power, I could never cast out this strong man who reigns in the body and souls of men, as in his house. For it must be a stronger than the strong man that shall bind Satan. And who is he but the God of strength? Learn hence that only Christ's divine power is superior to Satan's strength. He only can vanquish and overrule him at his pleasure and drive him out of that possession which he holds either in the bodies or souls of men. The strong man armed keeps the house till a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him. When the unclean spirit goeth out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Note here, one, that Satan is an unclean spirit. He hath lost his original purity, his holy nature in which he was created, and is by sin become universally sinful and impure, no means being allowed by God for the purging of his filthy and impure nature. Yea, he is a perfect enemy to purity and holiness, maligning all that love it and would promote it. Two, that Satan is a ruthless and unquiet spirit. Being cast out of heaven, he can rest nowhere. When he is either gone out of the man by policy or cast out by power, he has no content or satisfaction till he returns into a filthy heart, where he delights to be as a swine in miry places. Three, that wicked and profane sinners have this unclean spirit dwelling in them. Their hearts are Satan's house and habitation and the lusts of pride and unbelief, malice and revenge, envy and hypocrisy. These are the garnishings and furniture of Satan's house. Man's heart was God's house by creation. Tis now Satan's by usurpation and judiciary tradition. For that Satan, by the preaching of the gospel, may seem to go out of persons, and they become sober and civilized, yet may he return again to his old habitation, and the latter end of that man be worse than the beginning. Verses 27 and 28. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, blessed rather are they that hear the word of God, and keep it. Perquette notes. Observe here, 1. How ready we are to admire persons for their external privileges and the favor of divine providence, and to pronounce such blessed. Blessed is the womb that bear thee. 2. That Christ makes another judgment of persons, and pronounces them more blessed that bear them in their hearts by faith than his own mother, who bear them in her womb by sense. The blessedness of being an obedient believer is far greater than that of being the mother of our blessed Savior. Blessed be God, this great and gracious privilege is not denied unto us now. Although we cannot seek Christ, yet love him we may. His bodily presence cannot be enjoyed by us, but his spiritual gracious presence is not denied us. 
though Christ be not in our house, in our arms, by affinity, by consanguity, yet in heart, in faith, in love, in service, he is or may be ours. Verily, spiritual regeneration and obediential doing of God's will bringeth man into more honorable relations to Christ than natural generation ever did. Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it.